the root belief in the ability to create things where it seems impossible was like just deeply embedded in me. And I could see I have a hereditary degenerative eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa. So I was sighted as a child and a teenager and I played division one college baseball at Columbia. So my growing up years were rooted in sports competition and just like dreams of what was possible. This is Better Well with Caleb Williams. John, welcome to the show. Well, Caleb, thank you, man. That's uh, great to be here. You know, I could spend the first half an hour reading your bio, <laughs> and I, I really please don't. Please don't but thank you. I, yeah, it's. I, I don't know about you, but when when people read your bio, I, you you find out things about yourself that you didn't even know. It's like, wow, that's that's a really creative way to say this. But I, I just I want to like get the the first thing out there. And number one, you've accomplished so much and you're legally blind. So let me just give the overview um, because I, I want you to go into your story and not have to go through the boring background. Sure. Um, but you're an entrepreneur, you're a national speaker, you're a philanthropist, you're one of America's top trial attorneys, which I want to get into a little bit later. You're an sure. online personality and you're the creator of various peak performance technologies and you're legally blind. And one of the things that I I highlighted in your in your bio is out of over 1.2 million attorneys in America, you've achieved top 200 uh, national jury verdicts between two, 2014 2016, and and have received over one um, uh, one third of a billion dollars in in some of your law cases. You've obviously accomplished a lot. I I'm also drawn to your foundation. Love the fact that you have uh, Christian beliefs and and like I I as a fellow believer like really really respect that and it is just a true honor to be here and I again I don't really have an agenda with you being on I just know that we're gonna learn so much by just being in your presence and sh like hearing the wisdom that you have. Well, I appreciate that very much, uh, and that was a beautiful acknowledgement, and I'm very impressed just from our initial conversation with your ability to acknowledge see things and connect um and you have a huge vision i've researched you and i'm really impressed by what you're up to as well brother thank you thank you one of the things that is really unique is i i try to be really good with gratitude and i think we take a lot for granted and the fact that i can see is is something that i i take for granted almost every day when you when you're legally blind can you see anything like can you see me right now or how does that look like? How does that work? Yeah, I can't see anything um, on this screen. I can, with the lighting now, I can almost not even tell where, like, that there is a screen even. Um, with certain lighting, I could. But right now, like, if I were to reach, like, um, yeah, like, yeah. I'm imagining the screen is somewhere in here. I can see wide peripheral. Okay. Which talk about gratitude, which I'm grateful for. Because I can see wide peripheral, um, I can surf. I love that. Because I can see Let's, you know, coming. So, I'm, I'm, so I can't see anything. I can't see my finger here, 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 here. I can see it out here. Wow. Not as clearly as you can yeah. at all, right? Or, or the uh, listeners, um, I can see it out here. I love that. Um, let's go back to your, your backstory. I obviously you've accomplished a lot. And one of the dying questions I have is how have you accomplished so much? 
there's this thing called law school that I'm assuming you went to and there's books that you have to read. Like, so I'm just curious about that. But I want to go back to who Sean was when you were, you know, eight years old, who Sean was when you're, you know, going through high school and just like that story and backstory, because I feel like that would give us a lot of context on why you do what you do today. Sure. Thank you. Um, so you want to start with eight years old? Yeah. Or whatever. I, I just, I, I always love like throwing a curveball and want to get yeah, you know the context it. of how someone so, grew up. So I grew up as an athlete. Um, I was super competitive. And I grew up loving um, underdog sports stories. And I grew up um, loving fictional heroes, Batman, James Bond, Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. You know, I, I love the idea that people can achieve so much more through intentionality. I didn't know those words at eight, but I like knew that those people just made decisions differently. Like I didn't look at them as super powered because Batman isn't, right? James Bond isn't. They just made those kinds of decisions. When I was 10 years old, a profound moment happened. The 1980 US Olympic hockey team beat the Soviets in a game, Caleb and everybody, that for many of you, most of you probably know, but I'm not sure if we ever think of it this way. Uh, we know it's a miracle, call it the miracle on ice. What they did was the equivalent of, I'll go with a Chinese college all-star team beating like the Michael Jordan dream team. Like that's what they did. It was impossible. Like it was impossible, incalculable, right? And so that happened when I was 10. And so the root belief in the ability to create things where it seems impossible was like just deeply embedded in me. And I could see I have a hereditary degenerative eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa. So I was sighted as a child and a teenager and I played division one college baseball at Columbia. So my growing up years were rooted in sports competition and just like dreams of what was possible. That, that, that's incredible. So what, so your, did your eyesight just continue? Like, did you know that you were going to go blind or how did that work? Yeah. So um, my grandfather who I'm in Long Beach Island, New Jersey today, and my grandparents' house is 200 meters away. I bought this house to be close to them. And this is the heart and soul. I didn't grow up here. I grew up two hours away. Um, but like, this is the heart and soul of our family, right? So this is the second home I was fortunate and privileged to, to buy about 20 years ago. And so I knew, my family knew I was going to go blind from the time I was five years old. My mom found out. And the question she asked herself at that moment were, how's he going to make a living? How's he ever going to support a family? You know, these were very present questions for my mom. We didn't grow up with money at all. My grandfather was blind. My mom was one of five kids. And my grandfather and grandmother were just unbelievable heroic figures and how they did what they did. So, but I didn't know until I was 17. And right as I was getting my driver's license in New Jersey, get it at 17, my mom told me because she was afraid to have me get my license, wasn't quite sure where my vision was at that point. And, um, you know, I did get my license. And I was still playing um, high school athletics at a super high level. And I, but I knew at that point, I didn't know when. And it, the first thing that my, my visual uh, impairment took away from me, but everything, by the way, that it took away, it gave me in other ways. So but the first thing it took away was my ability to play professional baseball, which is incredibly hard. You know, I was a four-year division one starter. Um, I had some beautiful things happen for me in college. And I was told I was getting drafted. 
And then I just started to have some challenges with fly balls and lights. And that um, took away that possibility from me. And it gave me a lot more because I don't, I am sure that the law firm unblinded the things I'm doing in life never would have happened if I had gotten drafted. My whole life would have been different. So I think it was an incredible gift. But at the time it was, it was really, really painful. And, and did you go to school at that time for law or was, did that like, did one thing happen where you're like, I'm not going to be able to play professional baseball. What am I going to do? How did yeah. that transition happen? It's that, I mean, the only thing that I believe sports was the, I had such incredible high school coaches and mentors as leaders, just leaders, unbelievable human beings and an incredible family. So I wasn't rich in money, but I was rich in, in mentors and leadership and love, you know, being given to me. And so, yeah, it was like, what am I gonna do now? And all I really wanted to do if I couldn't be an athlete was I wanted to develop athletes. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach of baseball and football. But the problem was I knew I was going to go blind. And I knew the economics of that um, weren't going to, you know, I, I knew I'd eventually not be able to teach and coach or felt that way. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And I'm like, okay, well, lawyers and doctors make a good living, can support a family. So I guess I'll either be a doctor or a lawyer. And I just decided, you know, I didn't really want to be a doctor. I didn't really want to be a lawyer. Um, and I don't even consider myself to be a lawyer, actually. <laughs> Right. So you're, you're one uh, of the nicest lawyers I've ever talked to, by the way. So, <laughs> well, thank you. But I consider myself to just be a person that helps people produce results. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to law school. And I did. And I, what that taught me um, was that there's unique ways for all of us to be able to produce results. Because I, I wasn't a great student in undergrad, I was a B student at Columbia. I almost never went to class, not because I partied. But I was the first guy in the gym in the morning, the last guy to leave. I worked out like a lunatic, and I want to be a pro baseball player. And my parents said, if you get Bs, we'll be happy. So I got Bs. I never studied. Like, and so when I went to law school, my study habits were terrible. And I had to recreate them. I had to learn them, actually. Not recreate them, learn them. And I did. And it wasn't about me. It's about the fact that we can like learn to do just about anything yeah. um, if we're committed. And it, it like that was the next stage of like, wow, not only can we learn, cause I wasn't, you know, as a sixth grader, I wasn't even the best player on my uh, little league all-star team. Yeah. You know? And everything in life that was, that I was fortunate and blessed to achieve, um, you know, first started with faith, you know, for sure. But then it's, and it was about like, you can learn how to do this. Holy cow. You know, and that's how it came out of law school. I won the game of law school because the, the game was about, for me, get the, get the best job at the biggest law firm. And I played and won that game. And, but it ended up not being at all what I wanted. But what it did teach me was, yeah, there's a way to play that game and win that game. Yeah. A couple of things I want to go back to. One of my favorite quotes is by Simon Sinek, and he talks about the solutions that you find your weaknesses growing up become your greatest strength. Mm. I, I would love for you to touch on that. And then also the obvious question that I have is how, how are you able to operate? Cause you, you run an office, you have, you have five offices with over a hundred people on your team. How, how are you able to operate? How, how, like, I guess that's like the big question I have is like, I know you can't see or you can, you can barely <laughs> see. How do you, how do you become such an effective human being and, and, and run offices and win law cases and like, yeah, I'm just, I'm like dying to know that. Oh, well, thank you for that. Um, so it's about leadership. 
in realizing what people gravitate towards. And if you help people grow personally, professionally, and financially, and they believe you know how to do that, and they feel it and see it, then people want to work with you and partner with you. And so, yeah, I, I support people in growing personally, professionally, and financially. And I started that journey right from the beginning. I, mean, I had a, a job at a major law firm and I quit six months in with no money and $100,000 in debt and started my own law firm on my credit card with no contacts or connections or any idea how to sell or market. And in fact, thinking those are horrible things to do. But that actually happened. And so I, from the beginning, said I was going to create the same way that Walt Disney created Disney World, the way Willy Wonka you know, created uh, his chocolate factory, that I was going to create my own world. You know? And I am definitely not for everybody. You know? So if, if people's desire is to you know, lead a beautiful pedestrian life of quiet desperation, then we're probably not meant to work together. Um, or if people just want to have a normal, what, what I would consider to be a very like normal life, like get up, go to work, come home, like probably not also the optimal place to be. You know, um, I was very intentional about how I wanted to create things and I knew I'd go blind. And so I was always asking myself the question, Caleb and everybody, how do I continue to add enough value so people want to continue to work with me? And that's the question I ask myself to this minute. And my answer to that question would be um, culture and fun, um, opportunity for growth, constant teaching. Uh, you know, I've done huddles every day for my law firm for years. And we take a little hiatus, like right now we're in a little hiatus, we're taking about a month off, giving everybody a little break, you know, from me and what we're doing and create some variance. I think variance is important as well, uh, but it's always there. And then the practical, to answer your question, I have people read things to me. I have people send me audio messages, but I have people read things to me. And I'm blessed. Um, I've worked hard to develop my, my thinking processes because I, I think I'm smart, but I don't think I'm, I don't have the highest IQ in the world. I'm sure of that. Um, but I've really worked hard on how I think and where I put information. And I've, I've created a formula. And that's what I teach is that formula. So people are there because I can add value and solve problems. And they, I would humbly say, they probably haven't met anybody in their life who is more uniquely committed to solving problems, problems and creating growth and acceleration yeah. and cares about their future. Yeah. Yeah. I, just a testament to who you are. I very much feel that presence through. It's like, it's, it's so ironic because it's like out of anybody that I've talked to, you're not able to necessarily see me but your presence is very strong and that's because you have a heart of service. A um, couple of things that I want to touch on. You talk about value. Yeah. I was asked the other day what the number one inflation protected <laughs> investment is. And I, and I said the machine that creates the most value in the world. Um, mm. So I, I love that. And I believe that was something that got me going at a young age. If just like, I didn't care about money. I just wanted to make myself more valuable. And I know that that was a very similar route that you went down. I also, yeah. you, you said in school, you had an understanding of results. Uh, it's interesting. Wall Street's driven on rate of return. And I, I've said for about the last year and a half now, we want to be the company that helps you get your return on result. 
let's reverse engineer where you want to go and then let's take your time, your money and your, your abilities and, and like help you live that dream life. Um, number, so with that, what tangible like results are you do, getting through law and what was like some aha moments? And then I want to go down to your like formula and talk about what you're doing with Unblinded. But I just, I, I want to kind of get inside your like head when you're in law school because you quit after six months, which is like incredibly scary. And you did that with conviction, I think. Um, and then you, you knew that you wanted to go into uncharted ter- waters and do something and give results. Like what kind of stuff was that? What kind of law do you guys practice? Um, and I'm, I'm taking notes here because this is something that I feel like I'm you in a different industry with, with the ability to see. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm incredibly curious. Can I ask you this before I answer up? Yeah. What sets you out on this journey and way of thinking? Like you are, you are scotoma creating, which means like you meet you and it creates like a blank spot. And you're like, whoa, this is a very unique and special human. Like who just thinks differently and functions differently and shows up differently. So if I could just ask really briefly, yeah. like, what was that moment for you? I, I was parented extremely well. I was dyslexic and reading was incredibly hard for me. I have a strong faith in our, our creator and know that like I'm going to die someday and I'm, I'm going to be before him and he's going to look at all the time and abilities that I had. And I want, I want to be a good steward of that. Um, I had one of my best friends that helped me create better wealth, die of cancer. And, and so I'm just like burdened every day by the fact that we have one life and I want people to desperately live that one life well and intentional. And I'm realizing that most people, you said that you, you quoted one of my favorite quotes, living that, going through that life of quiet desperation. And if there's one thing that I could do, if I can wake people up and understand that money should not be the slave like you shouldn't be a slave to money, but it can be a tool to help you show up more powerfully and serve more people. Like I just, I've seen, I got that for myself and I, I feel rich regardless of what my bank account says. And, and we're trying to create a culture. We're trying to change the narrative around money. And so it's, it's a lot of things. Um, I, I feel like I am an old soul at 24, but I also like, we're, we're really trying to take on some of the big forces and some of the scarcity mindset. So that's why I'm, I'm, this is a very unique podcast for me because I usually don't go down this. I appreciate you asking, but that's why I feel so connected to you. I appreciate that. And I can't believe you talked about being a steward because my why has evolved over time. And my why currently is that, yeah, I do believe in God and I believe someday I'm going to be asked um, and held accountable for my talents. And I don't want to have squandered them. Um, I don't want to have buried them. I want to have multiplied them exponentially to make the world a greater place. So that's what drives me as well. So love thank that. You for can you can you delve into your formula that you you referenced before, just how you think and sure. um, yeah. yeah. So the problem I was solving for um, when I first got launched into the space of personal development, um, and that was when, by the way, I was considering quitting my job at the major law firm. And I was going to quit and become a teacher and, and coach, but I was now $100,000 in law school debt. And I'm like, and going blind. And I'm like, that's a problem. 
so I started at, so I went to some personal development seminars. I started studying the work of Tony Robbins, um, Jay Abraham, uh, this incredible book, How to Make a Fortune from Public Speaking, that I bought for a dollar at a garage sale. And I, I went to some events, uh, different personal development events. And I remember being at one of them and I was already creating acceleration. And I was, I was implementing and pulling and putting things together. And there's two, two key points I'm going to make here. But the, the, the awakening moment for me, the ne- like this next awakening, was like, wow, not everybody gets results from all this stuff. Because I was meeting these awesome people and they were excited to be where they were. They were beautiful souls and they were working hard. And, and I'm like, wow, like, how often have you been here? They're like, oh, this is like my 18th event. I'm like, 18th event? What? Holy cow. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and so like, what's life like? Like, well, you know, I'm like still trying to get there and trying to figure it out. And, you know, I'm not quite sure. And I was like, this person's not getting any results. And so it really hit my heart. And I'm like, first, I don't want to be that person. And I'm also like, I don't think it's the fault of the person teaching. And I don't think it's the fault of this person. I think there's some stuff missing somehow with everybody having great intentions. So... I began to think about like the walls of books in Barnes of Noble mm-hmm. in self-help. And I'm like, I gotta distill all this down. So this is like easy and reproducible for me and for anybody I would ever teach. And I think what I wanna be is the person that distills personal development down to its like key and core essence. And like, this is all you need. Like, this is what you need to create the acceleration. So that was the genesis of the formula. And so the formula, which is the Calgi results formula, I now call it the unblinded formula, um, you know, seeing what you don't see about the fun and magic of growing your money time and magic, right? So it's got three pieces. Uh, and I think that any result that you have, Caleb, or don't, that I have or don't, and anybody listening or watching uh, that doesn't, um, Oprah Winfrey, right? Um, you know, Donald Trump, um, Barack Obama, you know, Bill Gates, we, we all want different things mm-hmm. and we all have some, some have more than most, some have like very few, but it's not about how much money, right? It's not about how much money. It's like, we all have a barometer of what's enough for some people. It's as long as we have an, you know, an apartment and can put a roof over our head. We're happy. You know, for some people it's a park bench. That's enough yeah. monetarily. For some, it's like I need a 700-foot yacht, right? So for like that's its own question, and I think there's important questions of how we answer those questions, and the formula does that. So the formula first like helps us intentionally select what it is that we want um, in in space and time. So that's one part of it, like like not just hey, so what are your goals? Oh well, I want a yacht. Okay, great. Like how can you get there? Like no, it's like do you really? Yeah, you sure. Right, like let's let's think this through. So that, that's part of it. And then once we decide what our outcomes are, which change over time, that's part of the formula, right? Um, it's how do we get them? And it's three parts. There's our process mastery, which is our mapping of how we get anything. And it has subcomponents, like our process mastery. It's, it's what do you do? What's that mapping, right? Um, and that's rooted in four things which I will drop into depending on our, our time and I'll leave that up to you. Then there's influence mastery, which is like, we could be doing all the right action steps, but there's a critical importance in our sales, our leadership, 
our marketing, our coaching of people, our loving of people, or hanging out with friends that we're going from hello to yes. Like hello to yes matters. It matters whether people are on drugs or off drugs. It matters if we make money or don't. It matters if companies get built or destroyed, nations, et cetera. Hello to yes influence. That mastery of that component is essential. So this process mastery is what you do. Influence mastery is how you go from hello to yes within those processes. And then there's self-mastery, which to me is the most challenging. And that's how we get ourselves to take action or not, right? On a daily, hourly, minute-to-minute, month-to-month, year-to-year basis. Process mastery, influence mastery, self-mastery, anything we do or don't have falls into those categories and all their magical sub-distinctions. All right, we're totally gonna break those down. I love it. So what you're pretty much saying, because I've seen this too, people are almost addicted to going to conferences or reading that new self-help book and it makes us feel good in the, in the moment, but it's like how many people actually take action. And what you're saying is it's not necessarily the well-intentioned people that are running this. It's not the well-intentioned authors and it's not even the fault of the person going, but there's, there's something breaking it down and you've essentially reverse engineered that and said, if you get these three things, right, you will have transformation in your life. You'll be able to see things that you haven't seen before. Amen. And thank you for, that was such a beautiful synopsis. Caleb. Thank you. I, I love the name, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, so, all right. So the process mastery, um, before I get into that, I'm, I know I'm all over the place, but you said I, I, I can get behind the money, time. Can you, can you break down what magic means in this idea? So I don't mean, I don't mean metaphysical because I, I think, Magic means all of the emotional states and experiences that we want to connect to. Not like supernatural magic, right? Not dark magic. It just means like a feeling, like Disney is magical. Like it feels good. It feels amazing, beautiful. It means passion, adventure, growth, love, faith, connection, um, magical moments with our kids. We're just sitting there on a beach connecting. It means all of the states we want to experience in our life emotionally. And that's what I mean by magic. I love it. All right. For those of you listening or watching, make sure to get your notebook out. Let's, let's, uh, let's break down what process mastery looks like. And, uh, the, and it's really the, the art and science of mapping out what this looks like. And you, you had four, four parts to it. Yeah. So, and again, this is, and I mean this with all my heart, at its most masterful level, what I'm about to break down in a couple of minutes is 100 hours of content, like 100 hours. So we're, we're dropping from like 50,000 feet to like 25,000 feet right now. So um, four components to process mastery. First is modeling. I'll, I'll say them first. One is modeling. Two is time blocking. Time blocking. Three is maximization through measuring and monitoring. And four is innovation, which breaks down into vertical and horizontal innovation. So those are the four components. And I'll drop in on each one for 10 seconds and you can you know, tell me if you'd like more. So modeling means going to the source that produces the result and learning from them it do, and, and knowing they can teach it. So Michael Jordan may have been the greatest basketball player ever, but has Michael Jordan created other great basketball players? If he has, great, then learn from Michael Jordan, right? But I know Phil Jackson has, so probably better go to Phil Jackson, right? Go to source 
that's created the results that you want, not your parents. Now, if you want to ask for morality assessments and things, great. But I'm not asking my pastor how to create and build um, a speaking platform for yep. a business, right? Like, right? So we're, we're distinguishing between expertise at the highest level that's reproducible, right? Right. So right. My- would, you, would you agree with the statement if, if you wouldn't trade places with that person in that category, be, care- be, be very careful what advice you take from them? Unquestionably. Yeah. yeah. I would take none because I had people who loved me who are brilliant and amazing that told me, do not quit your job at this law firm. You're making the biggest mistake of your life in my family. Yeah. Or wonderful people who I love to no end and lo- like, right. And they were just wrong and it's okay. And they love me and they were just scared and they just didn't want to see me get hurt and take a risk. And they just didn't know. It's like, I wouldn't ask them, how do you, you know, make it through the Amazon rainforest, you know, like just not with their expertise. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two um, would be time blocking. And this gets into a lot of micro distinctions, but at, it, at its essence, it's distinguishing between um, our time blockings about our outcomes and having some degree of categories and fluidity, but constantly prioritizing our top outcomes uh, versus, versus managing our life by tasks um, and having blocks for different things that have to happen. You know, so the, the, I, I find Caleb and everybody that people don't schedule the most important things that they need to do. That includes me. So like, I'm not like, I am not the formula. I'm like so imperfect. It's crazy. But I have a formula that helps me make sure like, okay, like I'm, you know what? Yeah. Like where's like magical time? You know, my, my kids right now are 16, 18 and 20. Uh, I just took my son back to college and it's like, yeah, I feel like things are a little bit off. They're busy and I'm letting them be them. But like, yeah, we don't have any magical time. We haven't had any magical time the last two weeks you know, let's go body surfing. Okay. What do we need to do? Magical time with Tyler equals we need to body surf together. So I'm not going to say you have to be like, so Ty, let's schedule, like let's body surf the next week or so. Like when does that fit? Right. So it's like critically assessing how to meet the outcome and then scheduling the activity to meet the outcome, right. Yeah. Having intentionality around it. So time blocking third would be counting stuff. Um, if I could, I mean, each of these are, are indispensable. Mm-hmm. But if there's like like three takeaways from today, fall in love with math. Like not, not calculus, like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Because if we're not counting things, they're not happening. And you mentioned magic before, Caleb. I think what, what is magic is simply advanced science. That's all right. it is, advanced science, right? So there's a formula to creating magic. It's called time blocking. And there's a formula that says, ask Tyler to go create magic. Let's go body surfing, yeah. right? Let's think of when high tide is. Great, high tide equals great body surfing equals right day. Like, let's go, right? Yeah. So there's mag- like science to magic and that science is rooted in the counting of things, including measuring our happiness. Like, how happy are we? How yeah. grateful are we? Like, right? And fourth um, is innovation, oof. And I think if this is maybe magical takeaway number two, um, is people tend to horizontally innovate, and I believe in vertical innovation. What that means is that they'll start marketing something or they'll start a new way of getting in shape, and they may not be getting the result they want, so they horizontally innovate. They, they leave that thing to go to a different thing yep. as opposed to looking inside of that thing and say, okay, which, 
micro distinctions are off. I'm going to learn to serve. Oh, I get it. Oh my goodness. I'm not looking up. I'm looking down. Yeah. And I've been out here for 20 hours and that micro distinction goes, boom, I'm surfing. Like one micro distinction equal, and that's a vertical innovation. So mm. that's process mastery and it's 25,000 foot nutshell version. Can you, can you give um, an example of innovation in your, in your business life? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to take away an innovation, I'll, I'll drop a vertical innovation um, nuclear bomb opportunity, right? Count how many eco, understand what an ecosystem merger is and count how many you have. Understand what an ecosystem merger is and count how many you have. I would venture to guess, Caleb, that most of the listeners would have zero or, or one actual ecosystem merger. Zero or one. Me being here today is not an ecosystem merger. If we decided to create a relationship that said you have relationship capital, you have a platform, I have a platform, I have relationship capital, we like each other, we feel good, right? We could decide intentionally to take the assets we have, put them together and create more, right? Mm. And that would be an ecosystem merger. Most people never do that. They have a series of beautiful surface connections and interactions yeah. right, that never materialize into anything. Yeah. An example of an ecosystem merger, very simply, very practically, that launched my life, because I, I, I understood, I learned this studying the work of Jay Abraham. He didn't use that, he used strategic alliance and ecosystem merger, story for a different day about vibrational energy, less transactional, deeper, it's, it, words matter immensely to me. Um, and so the energy of words, uh, and, I, and by the way, I use the word energy. I don't mean metaphysically. I, mean, yeah, I know energy means like there's a, a feeling that's yep. creating around it. Right. So, um, so it, an ecosystem merger for me that launched everything was realizing that in my networking group, getting a referral or a referral, I was president of the BNI chapter. Like I was like, you know, and nothing was happening. I, I was getting referrals. They, I had no money. Yeah. I was scared to death every day. I was like yeah. dying. I mean, like I was going to have to quit and get a job. I'm like, it was so scary. And then I'm like, you know, but no, I need, I need these ecosystem mergers. I need these key strategic alliances. I'm like, wow. And I got to add value. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm gonna, and I tried a bunch of different ones and then one stuck. And I started teaching. Um, I, I sought a speaking opportunity for the Northern New Jersey Chiropractic Society this is back in 1998. And I created a talk that said, you're at war and you don't even know it. And they let me deliver it and they let me come back. And then they were like letting me communicate with their members. And it was your war you don't even know with insurance companies as chiropractors. Mm -hmm. And that led to me collecting almost to, to date about $400 million from insurance companies on behalf of medical providers hospitals all, all across the board. But the first key ecosystem merger was the Northern New Jersey Chiropractic Society. Yeah. And all of a sudden I had 10 clients, you know, and then I had 20 and I had 50, like, and it was like, wow. So um, a vertical innovation for in your business would be count um, ecosystem mergers and then have win-win value exchange relationships to make sales meetings and sales happen. So ecosystem mergers lead to speaking engagements, right? Lead to sales meetings and sales. 
And each of those things means a lot more than you think. Yeah. Speaking yeah. engagement doesn't mean being in front of 10 or a thousand people. There's dozens of different types of speaking engagements, including just sending out emails. I include emailing a speaking engagement. So longer story for a different day. Yeah, but I love this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, there's, there's so much more we could talk about. I had an epiphany yesterday. If you look at what Amazon is doing, they're making friction, like they're making frictionless buying happen. Yes. And, and so, they are essentially buying up organizations to speed that process up. Yeah. And the way that I'm trying to build better wealth is something similar. And so that's for another conversation. I, I, I love that you articulated that so well. And I'll just say, I echo everything that you're saying. If you want to get results, find someone that's done it, learn from them, be very careful that your, your yes is saying no, as well as your no is saying yes. Um, and then make sure to time block on outcomes is something that I'm, I, I will give myself a C minus on. I, mm -hmm. at least I'm self-aware and I'm like trying to be very, very careful with my time and then understanding the math and then the innovation is like so powerful. Is there anything else you want to add before we go to influence mastery? I want to add that your intentionality around your language, language is extraordinary and wildly impressive. And I further want to add that what Amazon is doing that you so brilliantly pointed out is they're just merging ecosystems yep. everywhere. And they're exactly what you said, because every you, I can't believe you used the word friction. What I always talk about is creating, in my, or made up on blinded word, right? but it's fun, is creating frictionlessness. Yeah. Like frictionlessness. And that's what we're all doing. And when our ecosystem mergers equal the value add of frictionlessness mutually, right? So you can create, you can create frictionlessness for people yeah. to monetize their relationship capital, right? So like we can go on all day, yeah. but the system merging is about creating frictionlessness. I love your example and your yeah. attention. And, and there will be, whether you come on the show or we have a follow-up call, I, I have a lot of, I, I could spend the rest of our 15 minutes on that. Um, influence mastery. So the, the first part is create a process to, to get from inspiration to like results. And, and now influence mastery, you, you talk about hello to yes. I'm really curious how you break that down. Yeah. And I would say process mastery is also like any area of our life. It like controls all outcomes, our health, our relationships, everything. So an influence mastery is how we go from hello to yes. That's it. Influence mastery is how we go from hello to yes. It has four steps, 10 indispensable elements, and four energies. And that's 18 things. We're definitely not going to have time to go through it all. Um, but if I could drop in with a couple quick highlights, and I'll try to do a quick highlight of each of the energies, the indispensable elements, and the steps, right? So I'll actually start with the steps. If we don't, communication is science, and there's an outcome. Your outcome might be to make your friends laugh. Your outcome might be to have somebody feel loved. Your outcome might be to have somebody invest in your project, become a client. Your outcome might be to have somebody share your faith, go to church. There could be an endless series of outcomes, but every conversation we have, there is an outcome that's either conscious or unconscious in your mind. Hanging out with friends, it might be just to like connect and feel good, or maybe it's to feel significant and make fun of somebody else at the table. I don't think that's a great outcome, but it might be your outcome, right? So communication has outcomes, and there's stages in that process, right? And knowing where we are, and measuring those numbers, back to process mastery measuring, 
is the only way we get anywhere. So I am wholly confident that there are four steps to human communication of going from what yes. The first is to build emotional rapport. And, there's all, and every one of these requires hours of conversation. But the building of emotional rapport is about how do you open listening? So each of these, Caleb, by the way, breaks into like sub-distinctions and, and a model. But emotional rapport is about opening listening so we don't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher saying wah, 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 wah. But not just surface open listening, not just head to head, heart to heart, like a depth of emotional connection so communication is being received. Like I'm confident, Caleb, in our interaction right now. Like you probably have the time in your mind, right? Because you have time things. So you may drop to your head at times, but a lot of our time spent together, we're connecting heart to heart. You feel that? Yep. Yeah. And, and I can feel, I can't see, but I can even feel, and again, not metaphysically, but just through the pausing, through a quick sound, you know, when you might be in your head and time becomes like a consideration. Like that's the depth at which we can understand our human communication. So that's emotional rapport. Second um, is putting something at stake. People don't, do not buy benefits. They want to avoid pain. And if people are not connected to the, the potential downside of not saying yes, right? Not manipulatively, but authentically and truthfully, yeah. they're going to have a challenge, right? So bring present to people what's at stake. Third is who are we? And how do we convey our story, our heroic, unique identity to another human? Not our USP, not a unique selling proposition, but like who are we and how do we resonate? And people do business with people they like or want to be like, right? So what are those characteristics? They're, they're very specific. And what are the ones that are very repelling that we may not be conscious of, right? So heroic unique identity conveyance, there's a mechanism for that. And finally, agreement formation. There's no pitching, there's no hooking, there's no closing, because you do not want me to pitch, hook, or close your mother, your sister, or your father, or your friend, right? It's authentic influence, and it's agreement. Mutual value exchange, transparent win-win agreements. Those are the four steps. And in every interaction we have with an individual human, right, or groups of human humans, um, there's, those are the four steps, and we can know where we are, and they'll either be optimally they're not, it's not yes or no. It's like, there's going to be a scale of where we are in our mastery yeah. in those four steps, but those four steps only matter with the indispensable elements and energies, but I will pause. All right. I want to go into all, all of these, the two, two areas that I want to go a little bit deeper in is you talk about avoiding pain. My mind goes to just learning from Donald Miller and this idea of internal versus external. Do you find that when it comes to influence, people they, I agree with you, by the way, we, we would much rather avoid loss than, you know, gain. But yes. would you see that that's even stronger on the avoiding loss where other people can see versus internal? And how do you, how do you make those distinctions when you're talking to people um, about just, just that element? Yeah, uh, amazing. I, I just, so Don Miller just spoke to Tony Robbins Business Mastery. And I had the privilege of also presenting um, uh, for a little bit of time there at Business Mastery. So I respect his work and his ethic and who he is in the world very much. So um, props to Don Miller. Um, so yes, I think, I don't think, I am quite certain that everything you just shared is, is uh, dead on. And it's bringing people when we're putting something at stake, it's bringing present where people want to go. And that is, 
some of the things I'm going to say in the next minute are going to sound like that's not possible, right? But it's totally possible. It happens every single time. In every conversation we have with humans, we can bring them aspirationally to their dreams, emotionally, practically, every time. Not almost every time, every time. Now, it doesn't start there. There's a sequencing to get there, so it's not like weird, right? But people want to go there. People want to communicate with people who tell them and show them what Oprah said. I see you, I hear you, and what you say matters to me. That's why she said she held the microphone for 30,000 people. When it's step one of emotional rapport building, you tell people that they're going to be very comfortable sharing with you where they want to go and what's at stake for them in the world. And so, yes, I completely agree that people um, care extraordinarily about what other people think, extraordinarily. And they care about how they're going to feel about that. So mm -hmm. combining those two things is critical for people, and it's not only done. 7% of our communication are the words we utter, the questions we ask. The questions are critical, but it's also, as we said, there's 10 indispensable elements. It's how, it's how we communicate these things with our vocal qualities and our body language, which is 93% of communication. Mm -hmm. So in our, in our 10 indispensable elements, um, our, like I'll just reel through a couple of quick quickies uh, to and why somebody would put something effectively at stake and have these things occur in these four steps. Because like there's four steps and there's 10 indispensable elements surrounding them. Mm -hmm. Things like how much we love people with boundaries, everybody unconditionally, how we listen to people. And there's five levels of listening, the highest being level five transformational listening, where we're listening for pauses words that aren't said, breathing pattern changes, all mean things. And as our mastery rises in listening, we can literally not read minds, but we can know what people are thinking to a 95 plus percent how they're feeling, right? But, but we're typically in our own head. So, and then one other key, there's 10 indispensable elements, those are two, how we emotionally and energetically transfer our energy, right? From me to you through our pauses, through our changing and pacing and speed, how we use our body. Like there's, there's energy transferred from person to person. That's what drives human communication. Mm. Indispensable elements are critical. And there's four key energies, you know, for a final piece of the influence, four key energies, fun, aspirational, like love and presence mm -hmm. called goddess, like, right. And Zeus energy, the energy of decision, like right? energy of decision, energy of clarity, right. And the variance of those four energies is what, is what holds attention. It's when, when we say people are charismatic, mm -hmm. the ability to vary their energies. Mm -hmm. So those things all put together equal, like level 9.999, masterful, Helodius, integrous human influence. And I have to ask this one last question. Um, heroic, is there one char characteristic or one or two that you highlight that go like, that's, that's common? in someone that's, that's crushing that, that step? Uh, yes. So this is one place I'm gonna, uh, that I, I have a divergence from Don Miller's teaching. So Don talks about be the guide, not the hero. Mm -hmm. And I think that often the guide is a hero. And I think it's a combination of at times being the hero and the guide and some mm -hmm. variants. So, so when I, because people, people want to follow a hero. Like Coach Herb Brooks was a guide, but he was a hero to those kids that were playing the Miracle Nice team, right? 
not just the guide. And it's, it, it may be a, a semantical distinction. I, I haven't ever spoken with Don about it, but I'd love to, because he may say, well, no, no, what I mean is, so I don't want to misrepresent yeah. what he's saying. Um, but I, I think what he's saying is make sure that we're humble, being humble, which I yeah. appreciate completely. But also remembering that we can step into our, our true, like powerful leadership yeah. and need be, okay? Yeah. So um, I would say that critical, I, like you all, heroicness begins with certainty yeah so, well most heroes have a lot of doubt every hero you just talked about like luke skywalker is like no uncle lars I, I you know i gotta be on the farm ben i can't but when it comes time they are decisive like give me the helmet i'm jumping the death star and i'm going right and in that moment i'm on target i'm not pulling off like i'm like so when it comes time leadership like heroicness is rooted in decisiveness and certainty yeah. and humility, right? And humility and the listening of others. But at some point, a decision has to be made an action decisively and with certainty taken. And um, that is all critical, that humility and love. Like if we don't love people, people know it. Yeah. If we don't yeah. love people, nothing's happening. So I go yeah. love, decisive certainty, humility, depth of listening, but like loving, decisive, integrous action. I, I love that. And you can't te teach a tactic on how to love someone. It, it comes from a deep heart. Um, and then finally, um, self-mastery. And, and I don't know if you have a hard stop at the hour. Um, and if you do, we can go over this quickly um, because I feel like I, this is the most important thing, like you said. It's like if you can't master yourself, good luck on everything else that you just said. Yeah. So, okay. Self-mastery, um, giving a, you know, brief, but powerful. Okay. Self-mastery is about the ability to get ourselves to take action, the most efficient action step possible. And it's rooted in this, right? It's rooted in this, that we are driven by pain, not pleasure. That's my first introduction to that was Tony Robbins. And he got that from other brilliant people as well. And, the way to get ourselves to take action is the ability for us to reframe, to reframe what we're associating pain and pleasure to. So the reason most people would procrastinate is because what is more present for them is the immediacy of a pain of like not going surfing. Like I want to be surfing. I love being here right now. I love it. This is amazing. And I really want to be surfing. And it's beautiful, it's gorgeous today. And, and the surf is right here. And it's unbelievable, right? So if I rescheduled this today, right? And did that, which is like, hmm, what about that? Like, it's like what the, the reason we don't, or I didn't, we don't do things like that, is because we bring forward the pain of like, I'm on a mission. Yeah. I'm on a mission and a dream. Yeah. And to achieve that mission and dream, like you bring that present, and the pain of the destruction of that dream equals me choosing to go surfing and not honor my agreement to be here today, mm. right? And so it's the bringing present of our dreams and our outcomes and our focus. That would be the most critical distinction of self-mastery as, well as, like, like, as well as how we use our physical body. So you've seen a few times today, if I felt my energy slip, we slip as we talk. I'm like slapping my hands together like I'm making mm -hmm. quick and I'm getting my, like, my energy back up. I'm back in my body. I'm out of my head. I'm present. Yeah. So how we use our physical body. And when I'm presenting virtually, 
and like there's a break in a moment, I'm doing planks, I'm doing jumping jacks, I'm doing crunching, yep. I'm making sure I'm putting endorphins and energy back into my body condition because I will not, like my, the conditioning is the pain, like brain present is the pain of destroying my life, work, dreams, mission, commitments to God, my family, my life, right? All those things will be utterly destroyed. So I will, I will unquestionably behave in certain consistent patterns imperfectly. Yeah. But if I'm like, get off, like move off them, it's self-mastery condition equals bring present the pain of destroying our outcomes. And it is hours and hours to talk about all those things, but that yeah. will be the most brief introduction. Sean, as we wrap up, thank you. Thank you so much for being present and showing up powerfully. And I don't even know where to begin, but I'm going to do some, a lot of reflection today and just over my own life. And, and because that's something that I think every single person that's listening to this, they want something. I'm very clear on like, if you don't know where you want to go, any road will get you there. So take the painful time to figure out what you actually want and then reverse engineer your time, money, and expertise in a way that backs that up. And what you gave, what you gave me and my audience is like, once you know where you want to go, the, uh, the, the way to actually live that out. So thank you. Um, one of the questions I ask everyone before we wrap up is the legacy question. And the legacy question goes like this, this is your last day on earth. You're with the people that you love the most. You can't give them anything but one last conversation. What are you, what are you going to make sure to communicate in that conversation? How much I love them. How grateful I am for every magical moment we spent together. And pass on the formula. Like pass on the formula. Because that's what's going to lessen suffering for people. I love that. Sean, how can people find out more about what you're doing, support what, what you're doing? And I, I'm speaking from a personal like, way as well. I want to help you get your message out to more people. And I just feel so grateful that you got to spend time with us today. So um, we are on unblind. Thank you, Caleb. On unblindedhuddle.com, unblindedhuddle.com. Every morning, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, um, we start the day together. Um, and for about 15, 20 minutes, um, my commitment, my outcome is to have it be the greatest way people can start their day. It's completely free. Um, and we're there every day getting people started, talking about the formula and the micro distinctions that we were chatting about today. And that's where the journey for more together begins. I love that. Unblindedhuddle.com. Yes, sir. I love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And um, I'm going to go through my chicken, ch chicken scratch notes and, and see if I can not just lay this out better. Um, thank you so much. Yo, thank you. You're amazing. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.